This morning, we're going to be in this story called The Road to Emmaus, uh, which we just read, which was, you know, I, I looked at it this week. I was like, okay, do I want to pull out five verses? No, we're going to do the whole thing, is from which is loads of fun as you start becoming a person of a certain County, age Texas. and you realize, I probably need to make the text bigger on my iPad. Um, that was fun going, where am I in this reading again? Okay, okay. So lessons learned this morning. But I want, I, as I was prepping for this, and I was like, what's, what's a good introduction? How do you know, okay, they're on a road. How do you talk about that? But I realized I was transported back to the early 1990s. And I was over at the Denny's. The Denny's were our friends who lived around the corner. I grew up on a U street. So not a cul-de-sac, but instead it was a big U. So you could come in one side, go around the U, go out the other, right? Like, so that's what it was. But at the end of the U, there were kind of mini cul-de-sacs. And the Denny's lived just around the U from our house. And so I got to know their son, Kyle, real well. Their son, Drew, was Matt's age. So we were friends with them growing up. And one day I was over at the Denny's hanging out after school. And Kyle goes, check out this new book I got. I was like, okay, what is it? He goes, it's called Magic Eye. And I was like, cool. But what it is, is it was this picture that was super pixelated. And they go, do you see the 3D image? And I was like, yes. <laughs> and this is what it would look like. There it is. I've tested it this morning. And Caleb goes, oh no, did I mess up the screens? And I was like, nope, that's what it's supposed to be. Now, I tried sitting in the back to see if I could get this. Because what a magic eye is, is it's all of these dots, all of these things. And if you get your eyes to, it's real fun looking at all of you right now trying to get this magic eye. Matt's in the back going. But yeah, what you're supposed to do is you uncross and recross your eyes. You move the picture. And so what I did this week when looking for this, because what happens is what, be, what looks like unclarity becomes this full depth image. Now, if you had had a camera on me when I was writing my sermon, you would have seen me picking up my laptop for about 15 minutes, putting it against my face and slowly moving it back to see these 3D images. Now, what I can promise you is in this picture is a shark. I looked at about 14 different images and this was the first one I found so of course, looking at 14 images, crossing and crossing my eyes, I had a headache for about two hours afterwards. But this is a shark. Now, exactly. <laughs> Have you ever seen a magic eye before? See, okay, yes, but then I got my Gen Z in the back going, what is this? Put on your glasses, that's how 3D works. No, this is, you have to work for the 3D image with these bad boys, right? You have to feel the pain. But I promise you, now, if any of you get it from a distance, kudos. That's super impressive. Because I tried for about 10 minutes this morning before I finally was like, I'm going to have a headache all during church if I keep trying to unfocus and refocus my eyes. But I did get it sitting at my desk this week. And so what happens is when you get it right and your eyes lock in, you get this depth of image. And not only is it depth, like the whole thing moves into that place. And I looked at this road to Emmaus and I realized, here's what's happening with these disciples. Is they're staring at Jesus right in front of them. 
immediately in front of their face and they just can't see him. Now we know these two probably weren't, definitely weren't one of the 12, right? Because you can memorize the 12. Dude named Cleopas is not in there. Now it's interesting. Um, I got to be a part of, over the past couple of years, writing a devotional that'll come out sometime um, that's about the life of Jesus. And it goes a full year, you would do the devotion, and week by week, the major events in the life of Jesus. And I ended up getting the road to Emmaus as one of the pieces I was writing on. And, and I was like, oh, great, because like the publishing house did the, like, did the background work for you? So like they had this, here's the history and the understanding and the background of this story. And I was like, this is awesome. So I pull up the road to Emmaus and I'm looking forward. I'm like, who is Cleopas? And it's like, no one knows. Some think it's maybe Cleopas, who was like Mary's brother, who like is mentioned in one gospel, but it's like, those are two different names. That's probably not it, but it's just randomly he shows up here. So it's not one of the 12, but we know as Jesus moved around um, Israel, he had the 12 who were his inner circle, but there was a group of disciples who followed. So we know when he sends out in Luke 10, he sends out 75. 72, because two people. Can't do two by two with odd numbers. There's your math lesson for today. But he sends out the 72. So we know there's this greater crowd around him. So probably these two, they're not in the 12, but they're in that, that kind of close-knit crowd, right? So they're leaving. And at this point, as they're leaving, this is the end of the Passover. So at that time, when you came to celebrate the high feast days, you came up to Jerusalem. And we'll hear that. They came up to Jerusalem. Now you think up and we might go, you go up to Dallas. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about you go up, literally. Mount Zion, Jerusalem is in the mountains. So you're coming up <clears throat> from the different surrounding areas. And so these two came, we don't know if Emmaus is where they were from or if it was just a stop on their way home. But these two are leaving Jerusalem. They're going down out of Jerusalem after the Passover feast. And so as they're going out, they're talking about everything that's happened. Because my guess is that the crucifixion of Jesus was probably on everyone's lips at that point. That this had been a major part in that year's Passover. So Cleopas and his companion are leaving Jerusalem. And as they go, Jesus joins them. And I love like when Jesus flips into teaching mode. Now he does it a lot, but it's so much fun because they're talking about it. He goes, oh, well, what are you talking about? And they go, oh, well, we're talking about, you know, have you not heard what happened to Jesus of Nazareth? He was this mighty prophet. And he hears them and he still, he gets, they still don't get it. They still don't understand. And so even though he is a stranger, as he is walking with them, right? And they're walking these seven miles. So he has joined them and they are walking this distance. And he begins to explain 
from Moses to the prophets to now, the Messiah. And he breaks it down in such a way that in their understanding, when he's kind of, you know, insinuating he's going to keep going, right? Have you ever been in one of those conversations where you're like trying to drop hints that it's like, it's time for me to leave now. You're great. See you later. And then someone's like, but what if we had lunch? And you go, I could eat, right? And here's, here's what happens is these two guys go, no, 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 no. You can't leave. You got to stay with us. They're loving the way he's teaching, the insights he's giving. And so they all sit down to eat and Jesus breaks bread and their eyes are opened. And all I could think was like, when you get that depth of image on a magic eye, that it goes from this flat piece where it's like, yeah, you're crazy. I remember the first time looking at it, I'm trying to find this outline of whatever the picture was supposed to be. You know, I promise you, I did not pay Maddie to say, where's the shark? That's, I didn't do that. Because you look and you go, no, where is it? And it's all of a sudden breaking of bread and they get the depth and there he is. And they can see what's going on. Now, I love this is one of those like moments in scripture too that ah, just so great that I wish I could like see the replay of it because it's like, and I love this. And here it says, um, so we went to stay with them um, for us toward evening and he sat at the table with them. He took bread, blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were open and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. And I love that because people will take, and he vanished from their sight and they'll try and explain it, right? They'll go, well, how did that happen? You know, Jesus is powerful. It's supernatural. Sure, right? But people are so confused. Like, how could Jesus have done that? Did he use his godly powers? I'm like, listen, Batman does it all the time. Who's saying that Jesus can't? But I love that somehow I'd love to see this moment that wasn't like they were just, their minds were blown and they looked down and Jesus like had snuck out, you know, in the darkness, like, like, and he's gone because we know that Jesus at this time is working to prove that he's bodily there. So like, he's not going to all of a sudden be like, and now God powers disappear, right? Like, you know, like he's working on that. So somehow there's this cool moment where it dawns on them and then he's gone. And it's this beautiful thing because they find joy in realizing who they just spent the day with. And I think it shows us some really cool aspects of who Jesus is. The first is, in our humanity, it's easy for us to say, Jesus is going to care about important people. Right? That's what he does. Like, he's Jesus, so he cares about important people. We got to remember, all the disciples were not important people until they met Jesus. So we think, oh, he'd spend time with important people like Peter, like Mary, you know. But here he is. He gives a full day of the 40 he's going to spend before ascending, a full day to walking with two unknown people. We get Cleopas mentioned once. Maybe he's a connection somewhere else. But here it is, these two people walking down from Jerusalem and he spends the day with them. Now I want you to imagine a hike you're doing. I mean, if you're in the hill country hiking, 
you got a good similarity to what they might have been walking in the Holy Land. So they're walking down out of Jerusalem for seven miles, which is about, you know, five miles longer than the hike I want to do. <laughs> but here they are, they're walking and Jesus just spends that time. One of the brilliant things about going on a hike or going on a walk is unhurried time, right? Because if you get in your car, like you got to be there, right? Even if you're going to drive for 10 hours, right? You're sitting and going, I want to be at this place by seven o'clock. We're getting going. But oftentimes when you're going on a hike, when you're going on a walk, even if it's 10 hours, all of a sudden, it's not like, you know, things are passing you by real quick and you can see all this different stuff. It is one foot after the other. And so what I love is that like the three years Jesus spends on earth in ministry, he's walking everywhere. So his time teaching and being with people is multiplied. And so he takes this full day walking with these two disciples and he invests it in them. Not only that, he goes, listen, you want to know about the Messiah? And he lays it out from start to end. He goes, listen, you want to know? And so at the road to Emmaus, we see this beautiful picture that Jesus says, listen, I'm not just about the people you would view as important. I'm about these two who have, like, they've left. The important disciples have gathered in a room and are trying to think about what's next. We don't know, were these two just like not important enough to be asked? Or were they like, it's done, we'll see you later. Did they not believe the woman? Did they not believe Peter to say, <clears throat> you know, he's not there, he's risen? And they just said, no, we're done. We don't know, but we know they left. They didn't remain. But Jesus goes and seeks them out. He walks with them and he teaches. We also see here the revelation of Jesus. That he walks alongside them, he teaches, he helps them understand. And then all of a sudden, it clicks. That they see that revelation. Go home today and figure out a magic eye. It's exactly like that. You're like, I'm staring at this stupid thing. And all of a sudden you're like, whoa. And they're sitting and as they, he blesses and breaks bread, something he has done over and over again, it clicks for them. And there's a relevatory moment. He has spent all day walking and teaching. And then all of a sudden, right in front of them, he reveals. And isn't that like our life? We follow after God, we read scripture, we come to church, we do all of these things, and then we'll have a moment and he'll reveal himself. I've had a few moments over the past two weeks where I've looked up and seen something in my life and just had to say, isn't the Lord good? That he's asked me time and time again to trust him to follow him, to walk after him. And 
And that sometimes, even as I'm learning and growing and following, I just don't see him. And then something happens, and there it is. Um, my good friends, Mark and Laura Pulliam, who um, lead Lazarus Church in Houston, had a phrase, and I don't know if they got it from somewhere else, but I'm going to credit them for it. And I love this idea. They say um, over and over again, faithfulness begets fruitfulness. That there are times in our lives where we live in the faithfulness to what God has told us. And we may not see the fruit of that for a long time. And here in this moment, we see Jesus walking in his faithfulness to these people. And they sit and listen to what he's doing. A stranger on the road that they've just met. But they listen to the teaching. They live in that faithfulness. And that faithfulness then gives them the fruitfulness of realizing who has been teaching them. Now, what I love is that Jesus shows up to these two unknown people. He teaches them. They're faithful. They listen. He reveals himself. He vanishes. And they are immediately spurred into action. They rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and he was known to them in the breaking of bread. That revelation of Jesus spurs them to action. Now, I want you to understand, I love how tame these verses are. They rose that hour and returned to Jerusalem, which sounds like really nice. Because for us, we think, yeah, okay, I'm returning to Jerusalem. Get in the car, turn it on, turn on my audiobook. you know, get back there at the 11. Hooray, like, they rose and returned to Jerusalem seven miles back up. Right? Like, I'm going, man, I'm real happy. And like, I'll write a letter to Peter. He'll figure it out. Like, hey, we saw Jesus. It was super cool. Stamp, see ya. Right? But no, here's Jesus reveals himself. And within the hour, because I guarantee you, the two of them are just sitting there going, you saw that, right? Yeah, I saw it. Did you see it? Yeah, yeah. That was Jesus, right? Oh yeah, 100%. Like, and so they, they got to like, you know, figure out their emotions first, but it was within an hour at night that they got back up and went to Jerusalem to tell the 11 and go, we saw him. He's here. He is risen. And again, these were two who had left. We see here that it says the 11 and those who are with them gathered. So these two had left. And again, whether it was time for them to go or whether they had said, we just don't trust what you're saying, whatever it was, they return and they tell them and they encourage them. They say, we saw him. He is alive. The revelation of Jesus spurs them to action. And so too for us. As we read this road to Emmaus, I love it because it's such a good story that sometimes I just like, Jesus is just sitting there going, watch me, 
Watch what I'm about to do. And he shows up to two random people who have followed him and he walks with them and he explains scripture to them. And they, they are so excited about it. They're like, stay with us. And then in that revelation, their excitement moves them to leave at night to go back up to Jerusalem and tell their friends he is alive. And I think how many times in my life has Jesus said, let me tell a good story. Let me show up and walk alongside you. Listen, I'm, I'm a 36-year-old pastor in Central Texas. There are people way more important than me. But Jesus constantly shows up, says, I want to spend time with you. Through his word, through his body, he constantly shows up. Now, I'm so thick-headed that oftentimes it's just like these folks. I'm like, okay, God, here we go. Like, show me yourself. And, you know, I'm waiting for like, you know, that... Ten Commandments moment, Moses, right? Like I'm waiting for that audible voice. And instead, it's like I'm, you know, sitting like in the backyard and it's cool enough. And like, I realize like, I have a house, right? Like it's this weird thing that like, I'm not old enough for someone to like trust me with a mortgage, but here I am, right? Like it's this weird moment. And I realize the things that have passed me by that God has walked alongside me. And it's not that I go like, oh, I have a house. I'm so blessed. It's like I get so caught up in what I don't have and what I don't see in jealousy and all these other things. I don't slow down enough to go, God provided for me today that when I prayed last night, give me this day my daily bread, he showed up. That when I've prayed and seen him at work, how quickly I forget that even in this year, I have watched him do miraculous things, things I've never seen in my lifetime. And still, I get so lost in what's happening around me that it takes him revealing himself and showing himself in his word, in his people, in a random moment. And then I go, Lord, change me, send me out. Last night, it was because it was cool enough to remain sitting outside after I mowed the lawn, right? When was the last time we did that? 1905, right? Like it was so long ago that I would work outside and then say, now let me go get the lawn chair and crack a St. Arnold's and just sit here. But it was great. And in that moment, I sat and I said, Lord, you've put me in this neighborhood <laughs> for a reason. I got to sit and talk to my neighbor as he changed his oil and I sat in the driveway and I thought, Lord, I, I want to put this together. And God reveals himself, it spurs us to action. Because you see what he's doing over and over and over again is explaining to us his goodness. Right, these two who go out wherever they were in their headspace. But then God explains over and again, Jesus walks them through the goodness of the Savior. And when he finally reveals himself, it spurns them to action. Spurs them. Doesn't spurn them. Spurs them to action. Wrap it up, Pastor. 
That's my prayer as we read this story. One that we'd rejoice that God would tell a story this good. Like to just feel like this is just a fun story. But then to rejoice that he tells it in our lives through his word, through his church, through his people. We hear over and over again the good works Jesus did for us. And then at some point in our lives, over and again, we have that revelation moment where what we've read, what we've seen, shows us the face of Jesus. And my prayer is that would spur us to action, to following him again and again, to rejoice that the King of heaven has called us friend, that when we say he went with unknowns, he knew we weren't. But instead we rejoice that he calls us friend and he proves his goodness to us over and over again. And we move out in action rejoicing at what he has done. Let's pray. Lord, may we listen to your word. May we rejoice in the good things you do in our lives. May we take all those things around us. May we live in a faithfulness of mindset to be ready to listen, even if we don't understand. But Lord, may we be prepared for those moments of revelation where all of a sudden we look and there you are. Not because you haven't been present, but because we have not been able to see the depth of what you were doing. We can see the image fuzzy and pixelated and we say, sure, there's something there. But then when it clicks, Lord, may that invade our soul. May that show us how good you are. That may, we may rejoice in what you've done for us. And may that spur us to action. Let us be a people who would run to tell our friends, our neighbors, our church, the goodness of what Jesus has done. That just as these two in Emmaus ran back to Jerusalem simply to declare he is alive, May we too, when we see you in our lives, declare the same to those around us. May it give us the joy to declare the goodness of God that he continues to have for us through his son. We pray this in his name. Amen.